0: This week on the Colin and Samir podcast, we have a really special guest, my brother, Sahil. Sahil can be considered a somewhat third member of our team. Obviously, he's been a big part of my life, but he's also played a huge role in supporting Colin and I as we've navigated the world of being professional creatives. Sahil graduated from UCLA Law School and ended up becoming a lawyer at a very prestigious firm. But once he got there, he started questioning how he wanted to spend his time. And these questions led him to finding some very powerful creativity inside of himself. On this episode, Sahil shares the unique stories about his path. He talks about the twists and turns he's taken to get to where he is today as a creative entrepreneur. And I don't want to share too much because I think it'll be really interesting for you to hear for the first time on the podcast. This episode also gives some great insight into my upbringing and will give you more context on my family life and who I was as a kid. It takes us a bit to get warmed up on this episode, but stick around. Once we get going, it turns into one of my favorite conversations we've ever had on the show. All right. I couldn't be more excited to bring you episode 31 of the Colin and Samir podcast with my brother, Sahil Chaudhry. All right. Episode 31 of the Colin and Samir podcast. And today we're joined by a special guest,
1: my brother. What's happening? What's happening? Hey guys, thanks so much for having me.
0: This is his first podcast. This is so, my first podcast. Do yeah. I have to keep
1: lifting the mic up when I you talk? You can actually just hold the mic to your mouth. If oh, you okay. Want. <laughs>
0: yeah, the whole time.
1: Because
0: <laughs> you might right. respond to something. That
1: sure. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I might respond,
2: I guess. I might have to talk. Yes. All right. I remember my first podcast. Right. You know, we'll, well, get, we'll get through it today. Guys, go gently. Go gently. <laughs> we will. We are
1: very happy to have you on today. Thank you. I'm happy to That's be here. I'm actually, this is like so exciting. I've been listening to your guys' podcast. Um, and it's exhilarating to be on here. It is. You listen to a lot of podcasts,
0: right? I we're, listen. l we're not a part of your regular rotation, and that's fine. <laughs> I've accepted that. But I think that I think
2: that after being on it, hopefully you'll
0: you'll hop on the the Colin and Samir podcast sure. wagon.
2: I try not to guilt my family into not listening <laughs> or not watching. So right. it's okay.
0: But we wanted to have Sile because not only has he been a crucial part of our journey for the past six years, you know, obviously a crucial part of my life, but crucial part of our journey as filmmakers for the past six years, um, but also has a very fascinating story himself as a creator and as someone who, um, you know, started out with a certain traje- trajectory and then was able to just, you know, turn it into something creative, and, and today he's sitting here um, wearing a, like, very printed, colorful shirt. It's actually a shirt that Um, he makes. As I've mentioned before, my family is in the clothing business. If you guys have seen some of our episodes of The Breakdown, I'm wearing like a crazy floral printed shirt. Those are the shirts that my brother makes. And the company is called Raga Man. It's the men's collection for the women's line, which is called Raga. And all of this is a part of like a grander story of even Colin and Samir. Um, Because when Colin first moved out here, he worked in the family business, uh, working on clothing.
2: Yeah, I remember that was actually something that was attractive to me that I wanted to do when I was talking with Samir I knew that your family was involved in fashion and I reached out and said I I want to be involved in lacrosse But I also would like to be involved in fashion and I'm very proud to have designed the the logo for Rob I was gonna say yeah, you made the logo for the women's line. Yeah, Um, and just really excited to have you on today because you know, Samir and I often say, oh, it's just us alone a lot of the time. But that's not always true. You are one of the third members that really has been uh, interwoven throughout our journey. So
1: thank you for saying that. I, I just have so much fun coming in here every day because you guys are here. It just brings so much life to the whole process. And we're all on these journeys together. So I, I just enjoy that. It feels like we're on this adventure together. So typically how this works is we um,
0: ask our podcast guests to give us like a couple stories that they would want to tell beforehand and we write them down and then we don't, we say don't tell us those stories and then we ask them about those stories throughout the episode. But because I know a lot of your stories, we should start with a story and you were just talking about us bringing a lot of life into here. You've had a lot of experiences that are pretty wild and one specifically that was kind of uh, life threatening, (laughs) but... It was running with the bulls. Yeah. So why that's don't true. you just tell just tell that story. If you don't know what running with the bulls is, just tell the story of what is running sure. with the bulls.
1: So in Pamplona, Spain, they've been doing this for hundreds of years. Um, they have a run where you run from about a dozen bulls and you're running from a starting point through these alleyways and streets into a Coliseum. And um, the goal is to get inside the Coliseum. And uh, when you arrive, you're, you're basically surrounded by all these people from all over the world who have just gone through this uh, existential event with you. Uh, so the way that I ended up doing it, I was traveling in San Sebastian, Spain with my best friend, his name is Alex Sharyar, and uh, it was raining in San Sebastian, we weren't really able to go to the beach, and in Pamplona, just an hour bus ride away, the bull run was happening. So we decided to get on the bus... We get the uniforms. Uh, we get there. I'm dragging my feet the whole time. I'm I'm telling my friend, I don't, you know, maybe we should watch. Maybe we should learn the routes. Maybe we should try to figure this out. And he's just ready to do it, to jump and, in. And you're
0: hesitant because this is actually dangerous. Yeah, this right? is
1: like, actually dangerous. Uh, and yeah, I mean, crazy things happen.
0: Like, yeah, people get like hit by the bulls, right?
1: Yeah, people get hit. Sometimes people get killed. It's this crazy event. And look, there's... I myself have some mixed feelings about it just because, I mean, like, I'm vegetarian, for example. Like, I care about animals and animal rights, but I, and, and the reason I mentioned that is because it's, you know, you're running from all these bulls. And, uh, but there is another element. I'll just be honest there is this other element to it where I'm standing with my best friend wearing this uniform, participating in this tradition. And there is this acceptance of death. That you that I experienced, and I can't say I've fully accepted death, but in that moment you're deciding, am I going to do this life-threatening thing or not? And these rockets are fired in the air, and people are saying prayers to Saint Fermín, uh, who's the patron saint in the in Pamplona. And I'm looking at my best friend, and we just decide that we're going to do this together. And I have to say that you know our our bond changed after that day because. In order to say, I'm going to do this, there is a part of you that accepts something bad might happen, but we're going to do this anyway. And,
0: you know, obviously you're sitting here, you guys made it. Yeah. What, what was the feeling when you like made it to the end? And while you were running, was there a point where you were like actually scared? I was terrified. The entire yeah. Time. Yeah. Basically yeah. the entire
1: time. I think it's the, it's one of those moments where I experienced what my eighth grade biology teacher talked about when he talked about fight or flight. Yeah. like afterwards i was like that's flight <laughs> for sure yeah. so um yeah i mean i was definitely terrified and the moment you feel most terrified is when you when you get close to the bulls and you you're you realize that this is real and it feels very surreal it feels like you're in a nightmare almost and um but the only option is really to get to the end at that point
2: i would i would love to know are you staying with your friend Alex or was it just like, you know, save yourself, I'm gone?
1: Oh, we we started off saying that we were gonna be running close to each other, but then as soon as we started running, uh I mean, we it's so much is happening so quickly that you're on your own very quickly. But we did meet each other in the Coliseum at the end and then afterwards everyone just drinks sangria in the streets and Saturday, there are there's yeah. concerts and you meet people from I still uh, am in touch with some of the people that I met there from South Africa. You meet people from all over the world, and it's a wild experience to to do that together.
0: Yeah, so I wanted to start with that story, because like, I feel like that story helps contextualize some of the experiences that you've had, Yeah, um, and some of the things that you've been through. And, and uh, just like that is, that to me, when you came home, I was like, I feel like I've, I'm like a pretty risky guy and I like, like to do, like when Colin and I went skydiving, I was like pretty excited about skydiving where, yeah. you know, and Colin was kind of freaked out, but that's something
1: that I'm like, I don't know, man, that, that feels like crazy. Yeah, um, it, it was wild. I don't think I'd do it again, but it, it, all, it did have an impact on my life and my uh, relationship with death.
2: In general, would you consider yourself a risk taker? And, and of the two brothers, was there one growing up? Because you guys are of a similar age. Was there one that was like, oh, well, he's he's more of a risk taker?
1: I think in different ways. When growing up, Samir was much... I, this is my, my take growing yep. up. My perception was that uh, Samir was more of a risk taker, especially in the social sense. Mm. He used to throw these parties. He would take a ton of risks.
0: Yep. Took a lot of risks. Yeah,
1: yeah. And but I mean I mean there was risk involved in of those course. parties. Yeah, of course there was. There's was a ton of risk involved yeah. in those parties. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I I, for example, for me, I did like to take risks, but I think they were in a different lane and, and in a different way. But I growing up, I would say I was almost a disciplinarian. Mm-hmm. Like I I had taken on this sort of responsibility that no one asked me to take on and yeah. that I wish I didn't take on, but of of trying to be the one who was on Samir about his grades, yeah. about not partying too much. And I remember graduating. I I, I think we were in a, on a family vacation at one point and I apologized. I don't yeah. know if you remember this. Yeah. I think we were traveling. Uh, I know we were on a vac- family vacation and I was just looked at him and I, I remember I said like, I'm sorry for all that because I wish I was the kind of brother you could just have fun with and hang out with. And, mm. um, but that was, that just, maybe there's a reason that I ended yeah, up I mean, being that way. Also, there's, there's a
0: lot of context to the fact that Sahel and I grew up, um, as I don't know. I remember what we called it first generation or second generation, whatever we are. Like yeah. we we're kids of, of immigrants. Like our parents did not grow up in, in the United States. So like our parents learned about American culture through us. And so Sile being the oldest one, like probably was a lot less, like I watched American Pie as a kid and I was like, okay, that's what I want to do. Like I want to party. I want to like, like, this is what I'm interested in. And I did terribly in school. (laughs) And it was so confusing, I think for my parents, for like an Indian family where you have one son who's the student body president and gets really good grades. And then another son who's like growing out his hair, wearing all black in a band,
1: likes to party and does not great in school. Uh, So growing up, I I would say Samir's what I remember was Samir looked up to rock stars and I looked up to politicians (laughs) I I remember like John F. Kennedy to this day still is one of my personal heroes And I used to read biographies about George Washington and Abraham Lincoln growing up And so my fantasies of who I was I think were really different
2: I I still see you some ways as a politician but now your career is so different. At what point growing up did you shift from idolizing politicians? And although you still may idolize politicians, but now you're...
1: Now I do it with a printed shirt. Yeah, now you're sitting here in a printed <laughs> shirt, you know. Yeah. I used to wear... I think I wore... when. I, so you mentioned student body president. Starting when I was in second grade, maybe first grade, I was elected class representative. And... That's not that interesting, and it's only interesting because I did that every single year uh, through my senior year of college, with the exception of one year in seventh grade. Um, but outside of that, and I was student body president in my high school, I was student body president of my college, and I really loved uh, public service. Mm-hmm. I really loved problem solving, which serves me today. I also think, though, um, that I really liked the external validation too, that every year I got this sense that, you know, people like me, people trust me, and, um, and it made me feel like a somebody, hmm. which I had to, which is why when I, um, I wanted to take some time, I actually didn't jump into politics. After, you know, I went to law school, and originally I was thinking that after a few years of getting some work experience, I would, maybe run for state assembly or some other type of office. But I really got the sense that I needed to get to know myself better.
2: It's really interesting using the words. I thought it would make me a somebody. Yeah. Just even that idea and to see how you differed in that, that for you it was yeah by being elected the you know class president or getting good grades, sort of, I guess, traditional routes of acknowledgement that you've succeeded. Yeah. And then through Samir, it was much more, I guess, through social accolades. Right? I think that's really interesting where you guys sort of differed in that way. But both potentially like you said a product of being the children of immigrants.
0: Yeah, and we're we're also sons of of an entrepreneur who like is uh super charismatic and like very uh he's he's very good at at attracting people around him and I think we grew up seeing that and like both yeah. wanted that but in different in different ways. Um but yeah, I mean it was it was definitely kind of confusing growing up and like figuring out like what was the right path. I definitely went down like a very art path. Like I wanted to be in music. I played music all the time. I wanted to like, I eventually got into film. And I remember even when I chose to be a filmmaker, like or a film major in college, like it was a, it was a pretty serious conversation with my parents, which I didn't anticipate. I thought they would be like, sure, whatever. But they were like, are you sure? Like, why don't you be a film minor? Why don't you like, maybe you could take some film classes, but like you should still study like business or economics or something like that. And I was just like, no, I wanna be a film, ma- film major.
2: How much, how much of your differences rubbed off on each other? Like how much did the fact that Sahil was more of a disciplinarian, was more interested in structure affect you?
0: Yeah, I mean, I probably going through high school, like, cause we went to the same high school. And to be honest, I don't think I would've gotten into this high school if he wasn't there. <laughs> For sure not. My application was a joke. I didn't even spell my elementary school's name properly on my application. Like I was like, just whatever about everything. Um, so like, I kind of was always like, okay, that's like Samir Sahil's brother. He's like expected to kind of, you know, follow maybe a similar trajectory. <laughs> and uh, I didn't, but I think it rubbed off on me probably when we got older and we like, we're close in age. We're three years apart. So probably when like once we went to he went to college and maybe I was a freshman in college and he was a senior in college. Then we were like closer in age and we actually started to become like friends and close. I, I yeah. agree.
1: We I don't think we, I think we had a very hard time connecting yeah. in high school because we were on such different paths and respected such different things. Mm-hmm. But I do think that, for example, I remember coming home and Samir would be playing with his band or he would be uh, wanting to film something And I would get involved in stuff like that. Like sometimes we would, we would, uh, we would, I would just, I would ask him to teach me some like drum beats. Yeah. yeah. Or we we used to make videos together a lot. Yeah.
0: Yeah, That was something we did a lot. That was something we used to connect on from. Yeah. That's true. We both always loved performing. Yeah. Actually, like we were, this is, uh, wild but like we were like a performance group growing that's up. true we were the chadri brothers chadri brothers yeah. we perform yeah no, it was kind of like go, that yeah. but we, we to, yeah we performed for miss universe one time and we used to go around and perform yeah like for real like we had a we had dancing we had a, we had a, we had a dance <laughs> choreographer
1: yeah that's true we
0: worked with on a regular basis yeah to to work on our act yeah and i was serious, serious about questions it. colin
1: <laughs> what I was serious Wait, about it. And ap- Samir, hold on. At, the reason it fell apart was because well, eventually <laughs> Samir was not that serious about it. Oh my gosh. And I wasn't ready hold to on. go solo.
2: Okay. What age
1: is this? Well, I think it's hard to remember exactly, but our first dance was a karate dance. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Where we, so it had to be, I had to have been at least eight, I think. Yeah. So I, I think Samir was probably around
2: five. Samir broke up the band. He's too, he hot. broke up it's the too band. hot-headed.
1: Yeah, yeah definitely. Are there vi- is there video? There must be video. There, there must <laughs> be video. There's, there's still images
0: from newspapers that we have at our house. That's true. And that, we, that my dad got framed at headlines. I mean, we used to wow audiences. <laughs>
1: like, <I'm just laughs> no, gonna... no, no. But there was one critical... There was, there was yeah. one very critical review of our performance, there which was. I think is what ended our yeah. career. Because there was a, somebody wrote in a newspaper article... It looks like these two brothers just like threw something together, yeah. and and at the last minute, and, and we the, had been working for weeks. Uh, what? No, no, what? that one I think we did just throw something what? together. What we publi- got cocky. What publication
2: is reviewing you? And well, who is the asshole? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm pretty sure one time it was the LA Times maybe. No. but No, no, no,
1: no. Everything else no, no, was no, everything no. else was Indian No newspapers. way, it was Indian. all Indian. No, no. It, was it was all, all local, yeah, local. South Asian American <laughs> publications. It was never the L- Look, I think we,
2: you and I both have been on the LA Times, but it wasn't for that. Okay. All right. For the purposes of this podcast, it's the LA Times. <laughs> yeah. The New York it. Times. I think yeah, it was the, the BBC was called The
0: Times. It was just The Times. Right. It was The Trades. <laughs> but, but yeah I mean we we were performing together from a really young age but I didn't like Sahil was an actor and had an I ag- did I an- loved to act yeah and he had an agent and yeah I was also an actor but I didn't want to do it anymore like I hated yeah. anything that required work and consistency and like anything that required my time I didn't want to do and so he was an actor yeah and, so like, we used to go to auditions I used to sit outside of auditions with him like
1: but to be fair, I only did it a couple times uh, because it it required a lot of effort, not just for me, but for my family. And also, um, ultimately, I think that my mom, she she was hoping that she wanted me to do, to pursue a lot of different activities, including acting at school, and then see what, Uh, See what I was really interested in and then I could pursue whatever I wanted to do professionally But I think she was a little bit and I I don't think she'd mind me saying this I think she was a little bit uncomfortable with me doing it as a child and maybe missing school and things like that So it was a pretty short-lived
2: child acting career. She wanted you to have like a normal child Yeah, I,
1: I used to enjoy I really did enjoy it and I did do school plays and I used to make shorts with Samir. And I used to actually, even throughout college, I, I would write shorts and I would be in plays and things like that. And I I really did enjoy it, but I had a very hard time wrapping my mind around actually pursuing it as a professional. Why was that? It felt... I felt... I just didn't even know how to get started. I didn't... I, I, so, and I also... I also am someone who has a lot of dreams that were competing. So for example, I, I had an interest in politics, I had an interest in business. One of my dreams is, was and is to grow our family business. I wanted to act, I wanted to make films. So there were a lot of competing dreams and also I wanted to be a lawyer. So my number one I would say the the thing that immediately after college that I planned on was it was to go to law school. So I so you know, jumping into, I, I always, it was kind of floating around in my mind that I was interested in acting, but it wasn't until I graduated law school, worked as a merger and acquisition lawyer for two years and then jumped into our business that I felt comfortable with the idea of actually giving it a shot. So hold on. I want to, so I wanted to,
0: I want to get into the acting stuff. That's like some of the most interesting stuff here. Um, but I also don't wanna gloss over the, you being at the firm. At, at, Sahil was working at like a big corporate law firm. Essentially, that's like the dream when you leave law school, right? Yeah. For a lot of people who wanna yeah. be a lawyer. Yeah. I mean, this was like, I came to visit you at your office and it was like all glass yeah. overlooking the skyline of downtown LA. Yeah. I mean, this is like serious. Had a secretary. He had yeah. a secretary, like he called his office, yeah. someone else picked up and it was like, <laughs> Office of Sahil Chaudry, like yeah. it was pretty wild. But um, during that time, that was when you became the most creative I've ever seen you become. Yeah. Why did, what happened and and take a walk us through that?
1: So, um, well, first of all, before I went to law school, I did a program called Indicore. And I'm just saying that because I really do love, there was something in me that wanted adventures. So after college, I lived in a village for a year. I taught English. I worked at a social enterprise incubator, and I loved it. Then I went to law school, and, um, and I really took mostly transactional courses to learn about business. I, I kind of knew that that was going to be more my, my route more than litigation, which is where you go to court. So I actually end up at a pretty prestigious firm that I'd, I'm really grateful for that specialized and focused on transactions. And I liked being there. I felt like I was there and I, I wanted to learn as much as I could. But I never really felt like that was my end game. I, 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 want, I, did, I did dip my toe in, in the water of the idea that maybe I could be a partner at, the, at this law firm. But I, I would say that that leads us to why what I started doing. I started writing poetry. And I never was interested in poetry. I never was really reading poetry, but I had a lot of existential questions because I had achieved what on paper looks like success, but I felt like there was so much more I wanted to experience. And I'm sure there's someone else who, when they hit that point, they feel I'm successful and and that's their path. But for me, I was spending my time reading contracts and working on documents Um, and I, and I felt like I was pretty good at this job, but I, there were so many things that I wanted to do. And I I started to question, okay. And and that's where this this question of mortality comes in. I, I, the thing that kept hitting me was how much time do I have in my life? Life is so short and I'm spending it during my day doing something that I don't, I'm not really that interested in. Um, but I'm making on paper really great money. And I started to think like, is this it? Or what? what is success? And um, and not only what is success, then it started leading me to think, what what do I care about? And what am I gonna do with this time that I've been given? So my poems started with questions that I had. And a lot of things started to unravel for me in terms of, what I thought life was about, and what the purpose of my life was. I had seen life as this ladder where I would climb and climb and climb, and I was at the point where I'm supposed to get this big reward, and there are fireworks that go off, and everyone says, oh, you made it. You're here. Welcome to the club, right? That didn't happen. It's just you're just doing something, and then it goes on. You're just doing that thing that you've decided to do. So, I, my poetry was really the way that I went in and did some internal surgery to understand myself a little bit better and to start to discard the frames that had been given to me about what life should be. And instead, I just started to try to play with the idea of what life is and what do I want to do with my life. Yeah, that, that, that's a really good description of, of like how much...
0: I always say that conflict is what leads me to at least me personally, my best creative output. Like when I think back to writing songs as a kid, they were all about heartbreak. Yeah. And sometimes I have this like stress that I'm like, am I not having enough conflict to be yeah. artistic and right. be creative? Like sometimes I have that thought, but like y- you clearly were going through a lot of internal conflict, but the crazy thing to me and watching you at that time was that it came out in
1: poetry yeah which you had
0: never done before
1: yeah and these poems would just flow yeah right like sometimes they would i would just be able to write them in a minute sometimes it would take a couple months and i would write them on my iphone yeah on the notepad yeah i remember that and i would just sometimes i'd be in the gym or i'd be walking somewhere and i'd have a question a question would strike me the first one that i wrote my first question was what if life and death is how we cope with eternity Internally, I just wanted to turn all these ideas upside down that I had been taught. So, for example, the idea that in in most major religions, we're here, but we're trying to get to a better place. And I wanted to play with the idea, what if we are in a better place? What if the conflict and the drama and the challenges and the struggles, what if that's why we're here? Because an eternity without that is boring. Hmm. So I, I wanted to turn all these ideas On their head so I could start to pursue a truth that made more sense to me
0: so prior to this did you always believe that you were creative
1: I think so because I was always acting yeah but I don't think I considered myself
2: an artist Hmm. Uh, so now though you're seeing sort of resurgence of creativity and you're making these poems what was your relationship with sharing that creativity at the time? What did that look like? Because you're a performer, you're used to acting. But I know for me, I draw a lot, I write a lot. But when I actually have to share it, I get a little bit anxious. I'm not so sure if I want to put it out. How did that happen? What, what did it look like for you? Well, he's laughing because he knows Like
1: I was eager to put it out. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I, I loved the opportunity. I mean, we would have family parties... Yeah. And, uh, and I would just stand up and you know start giving a poem. You know how normally when someone's a poem, like, hey, a poem. hey,
0: Colin, why don't you sing a song? And you're like, come on, no, I don't want it. come on. I'm like, no, come on. And they have to really convince you. They'd be like, Sal, why don't you recite a poem? And you'd be like, all right. And then you'd just start, <laughs> yeah. like, interrupt them and just, like, stand up and start. I, so I was laughing because, like, he is naturally a performer. Like, he was always, like, the
2: MC. Yeah, He was the
0: MC at one of our best friend's weddings, like, in front of thousands of people. that
2: yeah, runs in your family. Like runs in your family that at any moment you're gonna have to get up and perform, and I, I only say this because I have come to Chaudhry family birthday parties and <laughs> on immediate arrival asked to give a speech. Right, and there's right. no, there's no like, oh no, I'm good. It's like, <laughs> yep, now here I am. Yep. It's time to entertain. Yeah, that's
1: right. <laughs> I, for some reason, we all have different qualities. For some reason, I love to do public speaking and I love to perform. Yeah. Still. So
0: like but one thing that's really interesting about Tile is like, you know, when I think about creating something, especially like how much you and I have been through in the past six years of like digital creation, I'll start to think about how I'm gonna like share it and package it and brand it and like see how it can like show up online. But Tile's super grassroots. Like he's like old school traditional he's like yeah I wrote some poems I'm gonna say them to you like out loud <laughs> and I think that there is something so amazing about that like Colin had an art show for his birthday where it just showed his art like it's not like he posted it on Instagram or like created a website for it so like yeah. there's such a beauty to that of just like I made something
1: and I'm just gonna share it with you in person here you know I, I'll tell you I was gonna say one of the other reasons that I wrote those poems was because i wanted to have certain conversations with people that are very difficult to have so i i find it really incredible that we're all walking around in this mystery life where you pour water on a little bead that looks like this and it turns into food that's straight out of a fiction novel and we all walk around like everything's normal. Like a ball of fire heats us up during the day <laughs> and we're flying around a rock and everyone's just like, gotta go to work today. It's like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, that that's one of the other reasons these poems came up is because I would start to talk like this and sound like a crazy person. <laughs> and, um, and then these poems gave me the chance to play with people mm. because I could ask questions that would, leading questions, that would get people to a point where I would say, yeah, what do you think? And there isn't an answer, and that's what makes it fun. Yeah. Because I I used here's a major pivotal point for me is that I used to like I was saying I used to be the disciplinarian. I know I know the right answer already, and um, then I got to a point where I remember I was studying. This is um, so I did start writing the poems at the law firm, but it did start right before that when I was studying for the California bar exam. Mm-hmm. And I remember it just snapped one day. I felt like this cord got cut. um, And I looked around. I, I remember these were my words out loud was, where am I? And what is this? And why is everyone pretending that this is normal? And then it took me, I felt a lot of anxiety for a while. I felt a lot of anxiety about where we are and why we're here, and is there something that comes after this life, or is there not? And what's God? And um, and so, but the poems helped me work through it, and I would say ultimately helped me work through to a point of acceptance that I may not know the answer, but there are certain things that I feel, and that feeling I think points me to a truth that makes me calm about it.
0: Right. Yeah. So we were just talking about how you like to perform. Do you remember a poem? Can you recite one?
1: Totally. All right. For sure. Um, what if life and death is how we cope with eternity existing and existing and existing in perpetuity since value comes from scarcity. Don't moments derive meaning from rarity. Isn't it time that gives us our meaning? Doesn't the limit give us feeling? So maybe we climb into a body to forget that we're forever. To experience the emotions that come from no second chance ever. Like the first time you and your first love kissed. Isn't the memory sweet because it's missed? Live like there's a tomorrow that doesn't have so much energy. Would you take that chance if time wasn't an enemy? Would you treasure those moments with your mother, father and friend as much if you knew they wouldn't disappear in the end? Sometimes I fear the day time will have taken her feet and painted me with wrinkles like the rings on a tree in preparation for what is meant to be. But how can I fear her reach? Don't we fear the burst, but not the colors just underneath the beach. (laughs) You know, one of my favorite things to do was I performed at the um, Greenway court theater for spoken uh, word.
0: Yeah. In West Hollywood, right? Yeah. It's on Fairfax. Yeah.
1: And you have to wait. There's such a long line of people who want to do spoken word poetry. Right. I had to wait two hours in line to be able to stand on stage and do it. And it was one of the best experiences I've had. I really enjoyed it. And I, I, I thought it was so much fun to... For me, there's a, there's a play. And there's, um, there's so much fun in these questions. And I love engaging with people on that. And, and a lot of other things have become sort of boring to me. I have a really hard time with gossip, or I don't know, like a lot, there's a lot of things that are just not interesting to me. And playing with questions with people is one of my favorite things to do now.
0: Yeah. So you took those poems and you not only performed them uh, live and, and in front of people at our, our parties and different things like that. Um, Wait, actually, hold on. I want to talk about you performing at a theater because I actually never came and saw you perform.
1: I only did it once. You only did it once, yeah. right?
0: Yeah. So when you stood on stage, how many people were in the crowd? I think there were maybe 100, 150, something 100, like that. 100, 150 people just like going out and performing poetry. But you didn't have any nerves. No. You? I mean,
1: I did, but in a good way. Mm. It was more excitement. It was like, I can't wait to do this. I can't wait to share and... um and play with these questions with the people in the audience.
2: Did people respond, Did people respond and come yeah, up to you after?
1: Yeah, definitely. There were a few people that came up and talked to me about it, and, and that was that was really fun. But I do think that once I say the poem, I realize that I've said everything I needed to say about the poem in the poem. Mm. And, and once I start to talk about it, it, yeah. it kind of starts to dilute yeah. the whole experience. So I try to avoid that, um, but sometimes it's sometimes where it can be helpful, I'll engage, but mostly I my hope is that when someone hears one of my poems, it's that they start to have questions themselves and that they start to play with the questions that yes, we don't know, we don't have a lot of answers about life, but that that's what makes this so interesting and fun.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, so you know one thing i think that's a really cool takeaway here is a like you know how much creation can come out of conflict like if you feel stuck or anything like that like putting a pen to paper might help whether Mm -hmm. it's writing or just trying to express yourself drawing in some interesting way like something might come up that you're you don't even expect Um, but additionally if you have a creation we live in a world of so much connectivity of, like, social media and, and YouTube and Instagram and, like, followers and, and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes, like, when you create something, there's a ton of other ways to share it. Like, the original way, the original way which is just, like, with somebody. Yeah. Or, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, share used to not mean something on the computer. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I think that that opens my eyes a lot to, like, how you went about sharing it and then you eventually uh, printed the poems in a book. Yes. And you've given that book out to a lot of people and it's a cool connection point.
1: Totally. And just to be clear, nobody wanted to publish my book. Like, I, I you made asked. a book yeah. and I asked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I... <laughs> um, I made a book called In Between Assignments. Um, and Which I think I talked to you about the title before. Yeah. yeah. I like the title. Yeah. It's cool. But I, and I, I had a lot of fun... Putting it together, uh, and one of my friends, one of our friends, yeah. helped put it together. Patrick, mm-hmm. and um, and then we recorded me actually oh, saying yeah. the poems too out loud. I mean, I was playing with a lot of stuff, and I, but yes, yeah, so I no one wanted to publish the book, so I just published it where we make our fashion look books. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, but I'm really happy I did because uh, a lot of people will write to me about the poetry in the book. And, uh, and, and have questions about certain poems and, and I, and I really like that. And it's, it starts conversations that
2: I want to have with people. It's also just such a nice way to sort of like show appreciation for a friend, whether it's like you giving the book or like you gave me the book and I have it on my bookshelf. Yeah. And it's so nice that I get to have a physical representation of your thought and your creativity in my apartment. No one can put a video of ours on a shelf, right? Mm, like you put it out on Facebook, that poem, it's gone in an hour, if that. Yeah, that's So I think doing things in the physical world like this, having a physical representation of your creativity is actually more valuable now than ever with the nature of social media.
0: And I think, you know, we were having this conversation earlier and we talked about this because we listened to that, that podcast recently, um, Reed Hoffman's podcast. But um, like people today are really valuing experiences yeah and like the physical experience you can have is so much different now than living inside of a phone or a computer and most of my day I feel like is inside a computer or a phone mm-hmm. and so like the opportunity to have a book in my hand or hear someone read a poem or watch someone play music that's not on a phone like, yeah I think that's like that's such an incredible experience now so it's like I'm just so interested in the fact that you know you went about spreading your creation through like performing it live to small groups of people and printing a book and handing it out. Yeah. Like everyone listening who's creating, I would assume, or at least me, I, I have made creation synonymous with like digital sharing. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't even think anymore about creation in any, like creativity in any sort of other way outside of like, yeah, it'd be cool. It's like, oh, that's a good idea. We should make it and put it online. But there's like, there's so many other ways to be creative and, and to share your creativity.
1: You know, it's it's funny because I, when you talk about it as this genre creativity, mm-hmm. which for me, I just, at the time, I just saw it as things have stopped making sense to me about why we do certain things in society and why we're not engaging on certain questions and and I needed a solution to that problem. And and I wanted to have conversations that I wanted to have. And honestly, this these poems helped me have those conversations. Um, but, so I wonder, like, I didn't think of myself as, like, I, I like, had this need to get this out, mm. which I guess is creativity. But at the time, I just saw it as, I, I, I want... I want to get this out so I can have conversations that I really want to have. And I, I actually just needed to get it out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's interesting. Like, uh, I, 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 it's funny to consider it like creativity because I think, um, you know, th- th- like questioning norms, questioning society. Yeah. Some of that stuff is the most cherished creativity. Look at what yeah. just happened with, uh, Banksy. like, someone bought his painting for millions of dollars right. and then he had someone destruct it immediately. Yeah. Like yeah. It just shredded. Right. So yeah. it's like questioning a norm is yeah. actually one of the most yeah. cherished forms of creativity. Right. 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 Like asking questions is actually one of the most cherished forms of creativity. And it's, fu- it is funny now that I think about it, that we call it creative, but it is very creative because yeah. it's breaking, you know, it, a norm and it's like creating a question. Yeah. And sometimes right?
1: it's pointing out the obvious. Yeah. That, like that—that yeah. that people are just oblivious to, or people are willfully ignoring mm. something that's hurting us, or something that just doesn't make sense, just because we've been doing it for so long that way. Yeah. So then, how do you
0: make the transition from you know you you had this big, uh, I think it was almost a year long process of like yeah. releasing the book and everything. Yeah. By the way, you can still get the book, right? Yeah, Is it definitely. Somewhere? Yeah. Yeah. So we'll put you the can, link. We'll at, put the link for that in our description. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. If you want to read more of the poems, I actually showed uh, Amar the, yeah. uh, the poems and he really liked them. Amar That's from awesome. he, that, he No, that really means a lot. Um, I appreciate that. So check them out. Uh, we'll put a link in the description and we'll put a link on Twitter too when this episode comes out. But you went from, you know, now you're at the firm and now at what point did you decide to leave
1: the firm? Okay. So, and I think it's interesting that you asked the question about being risk averse or not, because Anytime I was doing these things, I was also doing something else. Mm -hmm. So I was writing the poems while I was at the law firm. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the same time, I was working with you on Raga. Mm. And we had launched... We had started uh, Raga while I was in law school. And it was growing and growing more and more. And um, we were increasing our distribution. And I was deciding what my next step was because I knew... That it was time for me to leave the law firm, and I wanted to be in the business and in our business, and I had this dream of growing our family business and specifically of growing Raga, and um, so that was that was how I made that change. And then a few months into that, I I started to feel more confident with the idea that okay, I'm in business for myself. Uh, I would like to explore acting. That was that was sort of the that's mm-hmm. the trajectory of how that happened because I'd always wanted to do it, but I I didn't really have the confidence to do it in terms of thinking about how do I do how do I make this happen? But I was very inspired by a lot of independent films and and I just really I liked films that questioned society and that questioned norms and dealt with the messiness of being a person and this desire had always been dormant within me and I just I thought, okay, well, this is awesome. Now, you know, as long as I handle what I need to do in in my business, maybe I can give this a real shot. Take acting classes, and that was my first step. Mm-hmm. Was I signed up for acting classes at Leslie Kahn, and um, and that really was the jumping-off point because then you learn about how to get yourself an agent and a manager, which I eventually did, um, and then you start going on
2: auditions. Yeah,
1: you, you were also in some pretty big. Uh Ads <laughs> yeah,
0: that.
2: huge ad. I, re- I remember that day in, <laughs> in the studio when you landed that huge ad or actually when that ad came out. right That was the day that was colossal, which is when I found out about it too. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell us about that it
1: was you know, it was pretty bittersweet <laughs> because I so I was so excited that I after a lot of, um, a lot of work, a lot of classes, Um, learning about myself and trying to become a better actor. I mean, I was in an an intensive, I was in intensive acting classes where after work, I'd go to rehearsals and I would be in these classes, you know, once a week, I'd be, I'd be doing this every single day, including the weekends. I would just be rehearsing with people and finding time to get better at this craft. And I remember that, um, when I, I got this audition and it was for Facebook and I was so excited uh, and so I submitted for it, um, and then I was selected, and um, and so I go to to shoot this commercial, and I'm, you know, I'm super excited. This is a huge comedy. This is a huge ad, uh, or so it seems, you know, is, to me. It's, it's massive. So, um, but part of this, and this is, uh, you know, th- the, what they asked me to do was basically they wanted to showcase their augmented reality, uh would you call it a story feature or mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, so they asked me to sort of like walk around and then at one point they asked me to kind of dance a little bit and they asked <laughs> me to, you know,
2: are, are you in front of like a green screen?
1: Not a green screen. I'm okay. in front of someone's iPhone, uh, in, and, and I'm behind like a brick wall in the arts district. Okay. Okay. So I think, all right, that was cool. That was fun. I met some great people. Um, I got paid to act, which is great. I mean, not exactly the kinds of, uh, you know, Oscar-winning uh, type of content that I that I'm aspiring to be involved in, or yeah. you know, independent, hard-hitting indie films. But you got <laughs> but, paid, and the potential viewership,
2: could, right, be, could, be, could be could be huge. Exactly,
1: and and also just getting experience, you know, in front of a camera, and um, I okay, this is a great stepping stone. And then when it comes out, it's like, whoa. Okay, that's great, but I'm dancing with a sloth on, an augmented reality sloth on my head. <laughs> so,
2: when Facebook launched Stories, for anyone around the world who opened up the Facebook app, the first thing that happened during that time, no matter what, was a video would start playing with Sahil dancing against this brick wall <laughs> with... A cgi sloth Right Sitting on top of your head That's the first right. thing That the entire world right. Saw when they opened up The Facebook app I mean,
0: how, many, how, how many people It's gotta think, be over a billion Right At least It's, it's <laughs> however many people Use Facebook I think I was the most Because it was It was over two months That it was still
1: running Right I, I think I was the most famous Not famous person <laughs> In the world For a while By the way You wanna know something Kind of interesting I just clicked with me That
0: Two of these platforms who have launched stories have used our faces, the Chaudhary brothers. Wild? That is so crazy. Like, What's so that today, about? <laughs> this morning, YouTube launched, rolled out YouTube stories, and the photo that they used is a photo of me. And they let us know that they were going right. to use it. They asked permission and everything. But, like, that's kind of crazy to think about that. Yeah. Facebook launched stories with you. And YouTube launched stories yeah. with us.
1: Chodry like, Brothers are back at yeah, it. Yeah, we're back
0: at it, man. We should Should've have been in our geese. Why doesn't somebody call the Times? <laughs> see, yeah, exactly. See, the
2: Times. There's some South Asian publication <laughs> that should be notified. I mean, if Twitter's going to launch like vertical yeah, stories. I, absolutely. They know exactly where to call. They know who to call. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, that. so I, now, like I said, it was. I also got apparently like a lot of people just hated that that I popped up like they didn't know it was me, but the, right, just right. that every single time you yeah. press this camera, I would pop up. So it was, <laughs> it was really bittersweet. This, uh, <laughs> and it's far cry from like Amores Perros, these yeah. like Mexican indie films that I wanted to <laughs> be a part of. Um, so, and that was really, but that was a real, that was a turning point for me because up until that point, I, when I would go to auditions, I was. Ready to do anything. I was like, well, this is part of the game and I've got to climb the ladder and that's okay. I'll, I'll you know, be involved in, in any kind of ad. And after that, I felt like I don't want to be involved in just any kind of ad. Yeah. Um, and the whole reason that I wanted to act was to tell meaningful stories and to um, also, as a personal adventure, you know, inhabit these new characters. And learn about these different dimensions of myself. So, that was, uh, you know, that was really interesting because I also thought, wow, Facebook, like, bam, that's it. Fireworks are going to go off. And no fireworks go (laughs) off. I just keep living my life. (laughs) And I'm just dancing on my own phone now. Yeah. Um, And... And I did a few other things. You know, I was uh, I played a doctor in yep. a South Asian dating ad, Indian which was pretty fun, actually. Yeah. I, I, I I that was really nice. That and was big in the Indian community. Yeah, that yeah. ended up um, yeah. on uh, Doctor Patel TV as well. Yeah, wow. which is a South Asian television. Have you ever network. seen this ad? Yeah, so, yeah. Okay,
0: you've seen the ad. Yeah.
1: Um, and then I I did um, one thing I really loved. I was in a um, uh, a student film at Chapman. Uh, which was about this character who has an existential crisis. And I really had a good time um, with that one. Um, But I did start to notice that the things that I really enjoyed doing, I wasn't getting paid much for, Mm -hmm. uh, if anything at all. And the stuff that I was getting paid for, I wasn't so excited about. So I had, there was this really, uh, after some time, I had to decide is this am i am i really willing to give of myself what's required to make this a real career because i think that to make anything happen you've got to throw yourself into it completely and if you if you recognize what the game is about and you're not willing to play it then that's then it's not going to happen for you right you've got to you get what you give i think totally yeah and and the
0: acting game is a really interesting game because you could invest 20 years of your life in it and never make it. Yeah. You could invest one year and all of a sudden you get some huge opportunity. It's, it's, it, it, you have to put yourself in a position to experience luck in the acting. Yes. Um, and you have to do a lot of that. Like Brian Cranston, he's, he's an awesome guy that I think all of us have listened to, um, but he didn't get his first like significant paying gig for 20 years. Right. 20 years. He was acting for 20 years before he got Malcolm in the middle. Like, yeah, you you have to you have to really look at something at at a craft like that. And if that's actually what you want to do, like if if acting was the craft, because I think when I when you look at it now and correct me if I'm wrong, but like storytelling, as long as it's the right story, you want to you would be a part of it. Yeah. but like you're not going to be a part of any story cuz acting is not necessarily the craft.
1: Well, but I actually think you remember when you would come over to my place and see me in rehearsals and yeah. like acting was something I yeah, really enjoyed true. actually. Yeah. It's just that it's just that then there's this other financial element which is okay to am I am I interested in doing this to make money? Or do I, and, and if I want to make money, for example, like commercials is a great way if you're an actor to make money um, while you're on the road to doing things that you consider more and more meaningful. And, um, and so I had to decide for myself okay, am I interested in going down that road? And I, I, I remember learning this one thing from someone who said, who was a, a pretty prominent acting coach, who said, this is only gonna be you're only gonna be successful in this career if it's the only thing you can do. Or if it's in other words, I mean if it's the only thing you really wanna do. And that just wasn't true for me. I I have other dreams that were pulling at me. And so I it was really I could imagine that if this was the only thing I wanted to do, then I would have done the commercials and I would have done everything that comes my way I would have I mean it is not I I really I want to make it clear that I admire seriously even more than I ever could before anyone who goes down the road of becoming a professional actor because you have to be very honest I think you have to be very honest with yourself that this is what you want to do for the activity itself and luck will strike or luck might not strike but this is who you are and you're willing to go through the challenges that come with being a true artist and for me, I think I lean towards uh, being a businessman. And that was a, a realization that I experienced through that whole process because I wasn't willing to do what it takes to really make it as a professional actor. I was though, so then you start to, you really have to ask yourself, like what am I willing to do? What am I willing to give uh, to something else to really make it? And is that, is, is that, um, is that enough to make it because the, here's another thing that I, I started to feel is that there never are fireworks. Whether I was uh, a successful M&A lawyer, whether I landed some great commercial or um, something along those lines as an actor, or whether I now today, for example, make some uh, big sale in my business, there's never really that those fireworks. So if you don't enjoy the day-to-day if you don't enjoy the problems that that come with whatever you're doing, because I think whatever career you select, you're selecting a host of problems. So whatever career, uh, whatever you're picking, if you don't enjoy the problems for their own sake, I don't think that's really the best, most fulfilling path for a person. Because that's all there is. There isn't really. I mean, I, I'm sure for some people, maybe they experience these like huge spikes and big fireworks moments, but I'll just speak for myself. I don't feel, I feel even when I won elections, even when I, once I actually get to that point, there isn't this trophy moment. It's, it just feels like, okay, now I get to keep doing the work that I have signed up to do. So unless you're interested in doing and continuing to do that work and you're willing to deal with all the costs involved in that, I don't think that that's the path.
0: Yeah. And I, I totally agree. And we had a conversation yesterday where you told me, you said something like, um, what you love to do and what you do for money don't have to be the same thing. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. a really interesting thought because in in the world today that we live in, I think we, we're so exposed to young people like chasing their dreams and becoming very successful financially yeah. by doing what they love to do. But um, it doesn't necessarily have to be like that. You can, you know, do a job and then, be clock out at five o'clock and then go and do the thing you love yeah. afterwards. Yeah, right. Like, totally. That's also a path. Totally. Um, you can be artistic um, and that doesn't have to be connected to to money.
2: I think that also can be like easier on your mental health sure. in terms of stress. I mean, I remember when I was uh, working at the hotel when I first got out of college, I was working 40 hours a week and then picking up a camera and filming exactly what I wanted after right. work because there was no pressure on it other than what I wanted to make. I was yeah. choosing to spend that time. Finances were not a part of that decision. Yeah. Um, so that's a huge part of the factor, and can be a huge relief. I think even now, you know, Samir and I have been making a business out of making videos. Yes. But what we love to do is make videos. Yeah. And when you have to make it your business, you have to make very different decisions on what types of videos you're going to make.
1: Yes. I actually think that when you end up when you when you start to identify. Number one, it's really important, though, I think, to go through the process of failing at a lot of things because that's how you get to know yourself better. And that's how you get to know what the world will reward you for. I, like you said, I saw those qualities of a politician, right? I, I would say that I'm, and, and I do, though, but I have these creative elements that are, that are a part of me that I want to express. And so I, I'm, I would say I'm, I'm, society rewards me for being a great organizer, of ideas and um, I guess I'm saying self-proclaiming myself a great organizer but like <laughs> I would say you are but I or at least like society is rewarding me for for organizing a business organizing the delivery creation of a product and uh, and, and a creative product and I think um, so society that that's and what I'm saying is like you have to fail a lot to know what society will pay you for also and and if you really believe and you feel in your heart that you want to be an artist full-time 100 i would say that then in your life like that's your destiny and you have to pursue it and but it but at the same time if it's not if you're not willing to bear the cost that comes with that um then then maybe there's another path that's better suited for you and i'll say for myself for example like I would love if, if I have the opportunity to express myself in those ways, like poetry and acting, like I'm going to take those opportunities for sure. But what I have found why I'm doing what I'm doing now, I'm in a business. Number one, and, and I, I want to be clear, like I didn't, you know come from scratch, I did not build the business that I'm in. I, I, we had a family business and I, uh, and I joined it, and I want to lead it but the things that keep me moving i mean ultimately now if i'm if i'm not good at this job then it doesn't get to continue because it, i can't rest on anybody else's laurels like the past doesn't pay your future bills so i have to be good at this myself and learn how to be good at it myself and adapt but i would say there are a lot of different motivations right now for me i love the environment i work in i love walking in here every day and being in a position to Create something. I love the people that I'm working with. I love that there's this family element to what we're doing. I love to travel. I work a lot overseas. I go to India. Um, I love the shoots that we get to do. You know, we shoot lookbooks. We shoot films. There's storytelling involved. So there were a lot of things, and and frankly speaking, it's it doesn't always go well. I mean, every month we um, are. We have sales targets. Sometimes we meet them. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes things look scary. Sometimes things look amazing. But I I am in a in a position right now where I feel like the journey is worth it. Up or down, I'm I'm in it, and I'm uh, and I'm enjoying the process. And I'm not expecting any fireworks at the end of this tunnel. And that's the greatest feeling, is that I can do this and financially and creatively, I feel. Uh, good about pursuing this path.
2: I think one really important takeaway for people from your journey is that you are who you are today because of the diverse set of things you got involved in, whether it was as a student, as a, you know a politician, uh, a poet, an actor, whatever it is, you went a hundred percent in at least for a period of time. Yes that's and that's true. super important. I think yeah. if you are going to do something, go a hundred percent for some period of time because that's when you're going to understand what your you know what the potential is there and how much you actually enjoy it and you're going to put yourself in a position to acquire some sort of skill. Yeah. Like you said, you know, you are a good organizer, you're a great yeah. public speaker and all of those things help you today Yeah. with your business. So that's one important takeaway I think. It's just 100% in and yeah. you will get something out of it.
1: Yes, and I and I want to say though that's probably easier for me to say than some than a lot of people. I come from a family of like my father's a successful businessman. So I have a lot of space and freedom to pursue things, not just because of you know the platform, the financial platform I've been given, but also just because I come from a background where someone took risks mm-hmm. and was comfortable with that. Yeah, I agree. And so when I when I want to create something and I wanna take a risk, I have the psychological support. To, to make, to to decide that I, I want to do that. Um, so I, I, I hope that you guys also, um, and I'm sure you already have, but when you're interviewing people, interview people who don't have that, who are yeah. really kind of against all odds and are, are really like fighting against not only financial resources, but psychological perspectives. Mm-hmm. Because there are so many different pressures that I think would make someone doubt themselves. I mean... Even me, I have days where I doubt myself. I have days where I start to lose hope or faith, and I think, "Man, am I really? Am I going to be able to make this happen?" Um, and the thing, though, that but, but because I because I I'm I am I love the game that I'm in, and I and I love there's so many different things about it that I love. I, I I'm persistent, and I have faith that this is going to. As long as I, I I stay in it and I'm able to do the job that I uh, am doing, that it's worth it. As long like it's the activity that's important. It's not the result. I mean, the result has to be within the realm of possibility. The result has to be something that you want that is within the realm of possibility given your effort. That's what I think is important. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I um, right now on those days that. I, I feel that things are tough. I, I, do, I do maintain a certain sense of faith. And I just think, though, it would be, it's probably even more challenging when you're in an environment of people who doubt you or have never done anything like that before. Mm-hmm. I got to grow up in an environment where I saw someone make something, make what was for our family at the time, like the impossible happened. Hundred percent. So like yeah. you know, our family even when we go back to India we, we come from a relatively rural place, actually, yeah. and a small very small rural place. And our dad was really the first entrepreneur. Uh, not the first entrepreneur, but um, but at least in the in the modern sense yeah. he was. And of this scale, I think. Yeah, and of this yeah. scale, yeah. So um, so I think that helps a lot when you have role models and you have examples of people who have done things that other people think are really hard. And to the degree that um, when people are watching you or listening to you, I hope that's something that people take away is that have faith. If, if something, if there's a seed within you of, of a desire to make something happen, that's probably there for a reason. And even if it doesn't manifest in the way, exactly the way that you think it will at that moment, ultimately over time, if you follow that, it's going to turn into your destiny. Pretty good for his first
0: podcast. Huh? <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> yeah. Incredible.
1: I'm trying I'm, I'm got, kind of auditioning. Yeah. You know, I'm auditioning here uh, too. The guy knows how to speak. Be a guest yeah. once in a while. He, he
0: did start by gripping the mic with
1: two hands as I hard did, as he yeah. could. And so like you've definitely come yeah. a long way. In the yeah, hour. I know. But um, That's yeah. not the least that's not the most embarrassing thing I've done. I mean I've had a sloth <laughs> on my head, so I've nothing to lose now. <laughs> like uh, man. I not, wish no, I no, wish that, that was a a video of me holding a mic with two hands. <laughs> no, that. Uh, but honestly, what you just said
0: was really, really important and really great. I mean, um, recently, or you, you mentioned her before. Uh, you listened to the episode with Mylin. Yeah, she she talked to us a lot. I mean, she dropped out of, uh, out of high school or college. 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 Yeah, uh, actually, I don't remember. She dropped out of some school to pursue like a, a career in social media, and she comes from a very traditional Asian family. And so yeah. she talked a lot about how hard that was and yeah. how. She hadn't said it out loud for two years. Yeah. That she dropped out. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, she didn't say it out loud. And she finally said it out loud at a family function. And it yeah. was like a liberating experience for her. Like, yeah. I thought that was a really interesting thing that, like, when you come from an environment where it's yeah. like so, where you're the only one doing it, because you and I do have that yeah. amazing thing that, like, we say some crazy idea at the dinner table. And yeah. Dad's like,
1: Yes. Yeah, right. Exactly. You should do that. Right. And you're like, right.
0: okay, great. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like we don't, true. we don't have any resistance of like that idea is too crazy. Right. I've never brought an idea to the table where right. like our family is like, right. No.
1: And it does come though with what, which is something I do like also. And now I'm more grateful for is, is it does come with a dose of being realistic. Yeah. It's like, okay, you want to make this really big thing happen. Well, how are you going to do it? And yeah. How are you going to get paid to do it? Yeah, and yeah. do you need to get paid to yeah, do yeah, it for sure? Or how are you going to get paid
0: in yes. some other way? Yeah, because we still also come from, you know, like the immigrant mentality. Yeah, which is like, yeah, it's not like anything is possible, but it's like anything, if you really work at it, can become realistic. Yes, I guess. Yeah, yes, yeah, it exactly. It can
1: become your reality if you believe. Yeah. yeah, and depending on what you're willing to give to it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, but at least I guess the thing that we have is the space to say, I, I want to make this. happen. like I want. Mm-hmm. I'm I, I I want to make this thing happen, and then we have people in our life who say, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Like when we were younger, we were able to become some of the hottest dancers dance, in the dance South, trou- yeah, the yeah, South Asian I community. Yeah, I, I do in the wanna, local we, we, local we, Southern California region. we, we, yeah, yeah. we, we went past it. But I do want to say that we did have one final performance at a talent show that really brought the house down. That People still talk about Talking
1: about, about middle school? <laughs> like yeah, a middle yeah, school? yeah. You remember yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. totally. People,
0: we brought the house down. Yep. Everyone said, like, if you walk around the Pacific Palisades, which is where <laughs> we're from, and you find someone who might have been a parent in the <laughs> but, crowd, they'll remember But it. can I say... That I'm, I'm a reader
2: of the Times. So I saw it. I heard can I
1: say, it? I actually think that that is was a problem also. Okay? Because good is the enemy of great. And when you wow. get... When you get a lot of attention and you get a lot of um, sort of congratulations when you're younger, you start to believe that you're on top of the world. And so I would say that this this process, like right now, I am, despite all my advantages, like I'm in a fight, a fight I love to build my brand, right, our brand, like Raga and Raga Man, and we are opening. You know, we're working and we're 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 designing a product we're proud of we're getting in the right places but um but it's 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 a challenge and I have to say that when you win a lot as a youth like when I was I was winning every single election you start to believe that you're on top of the world not realizing that there are people doing things outside of school there are people doing things outside of your parents association congratulating you on your talent show and um not to you know play the long violin for for kids who grow up in nice neighborhoods and with <laughs> loving parents because I'm not I'm just saying that then we have to check ourselves and realize like we're not as good as we think we are like it takes a lot and I think that if you if you don't come from that environment I think like our dad you learn that lesson a lot earlier and you don't expect to get uh immediate instant gratification for doing something that's just okay <laughs> you know you You expect that, like, okay, nobody owes me anything, not even a kind word. I have to make something that this person wants to pay for. And that lesson, I would say, has only come later for me. And so, like, yes, I, you know, I got lucky that I I I had a lot of these early wins that gave me a sense of self. But also, um right now I'm realizing like, wow, you know what? I'm not as good as I think I am. I have a lot to work on to be the best. At what I'm doing and to 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 make something that my society will reward me for and something that I'm proud of I mean it's a two-way street you don't want to just be led by society you want to do something that you're proud of that connects with your community and and people spend years and years uh, getting to that point where they find that link and that connection and when they do it's a miracle and so I want to be
2: frank and say that I'm still in that process but now I know I'm in that process you know, what's interesting, I think both of you guys, you know, because of your dad do feel like any idea is can become realistic, yes. and can be attainable. And both of you are very heavily involved in the family business. Does it ever feel difficult or like there's more added pressure as part of a family business, knowing how much success your dad has had and what he's been able to produce? And I say that because I don't come from a family business. Coming out to work with you guys was a very unique look into a family business for me. Yeah. And I, I don't know what that would be like to work for my dad. I, I would love to hear what it looks like from your perspective. It's just something I've never seen before and I never had any access or look into It's, it's,
1: you never saw two guys drive up in a rental car to, uh, that Colorado field and. Oh my God in long long
2: black jackets and suits. <laughs> what I love about it is that it's it is very fluid. Like you mentioned that moment when you came out to Colorado for you yeah. know, we were filming a, a documentary and you guys had hired me for the first time. Yeah. That was my first paid film gig. Yeah. And we met um. in Colorado. You two show up suits, suits. <laughs> long like nice trench coats. Yeah. To this field basically, this field house in Colorado and yeah. everyone else is in normal Colorado attire, <laughs> <Right>. flannels. <laughs> Jeans, right? You know, dirty sneakers, something like that, right? And I was like, okay, who are these? <laughs> yeah, who are these hotshot businessmen coming right. out of Southern California? Right, yeah. right, right, right. Um, but what I love is that you know, my experience with you is that you know, you were working at the law firm when we were building the Lacrosse Network. Yeah. Um, but man, were you there a lot whenever you needed to be, and I'm sure behind the scenes and moments that I didn't even see. You know, mm-hmm. And yet you right. were working at a law firm. You were yeah. working or you were studying. You were in law school yeah. maybe at the time. Um, so what I love about the look that I've had into this family business is the truly family aspect of it where it's, you don't, it seems like you don't ask questions. If you need to be somewhere, you support where you can support. Right. And that to me is a beautiful thing to witness and, and sort of take some of that learning you know, that like when you are building a business, it, it, it can be sometimes like a family in the beginning where yeah. it's like you just need to do whatever you need to do yeah. Um, and you want to be there and support.
1: I agree. There was never a moment in my life that I did not feel part of this business. And I think that comes from our background because because we come from our, originally a more rural place in India where it's very family oriented um, and our dad comes from that background for me, it was never even a question. Like, no matter what I'm doing, I always have a responsibility to this, to the business, and I was always excited by it. But it never even occurred to me the question of like, am I in it or am I not in it? Of course. From when I was a kid, I always just thought, I'm in it, and whatever we're doing, we're doing together. So if is doing something, I-, I am in it. Yep. And if I'm doing something, I know that he's in it too. I- I've never felt... That, and, which is really powerful. That um, No matter what, I mean, whatever we do, I, I would say that's the fundamental principle that our family's business works off of, is whatever one person is in, we're all in. So when he needed contracts with Lacrosse Network or anything, you know, or, or I need some consulting on the media that we're doing for Raga, we're always in each other's game. It's 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 all of us going at the same
2: game. But do you think Great. some of your drive to be successful comes from seeing your dad?
1: Yes, I think uh there is because from since the day that we were uh, since we were kids, there was always it was also it was also not a question of how hard do you have to work? I mean, we were working sample sales when we were kids. We were we were coming here over the summers. I would go to India and I, my dad would have me in the meeting room with suppliers with ex Indian factory owners who were in their fifties or sixties, but I was 16. He would have me sit and just listen to what was happening. So it was always this expectation that whatever you're going to do, you are going to give it 100% and you have the tools to make it happen. And, um, and there was, never a, it was, there was never a question of let's, let's, like, you can do this thing and just be okay. Like, it, we're always growing and striving and pushing to be at the next level. And I would say that, like, that's, that's a common theme in our home. Like, if you, if you sit with us at dinner, we're always talking about what we're working on, what kind of projects we want to work on. And that's, that's the running conversation. That's the glue for us you know, my dad used to say, he still
0: probably says it, but every night when he sat at the dinner table, he used to say, it's not easy to make a buck in this town. Right. And it was just so apparent how hard he worked. Like we would just witness it. Like he, when we would go to sleep, he was working. When we would wake up, he was working. If he flew back from China and he had some crazy, you know, time difference, he landed and he was working. Like he didn't stop. And he used to always say that it's not easy to make a buck in this town. But I used to think when I was younger, I was like, Kind of looks like it's not that <laughs> right. Right, hard. It doesn't right. Doesn't look that hard. And right. now, that yeah. like Colin and I are sitting here, like right. d- trying to. We've been like, trying our hand at our own business for the past yeah. couple of years. It is really fucking hard it's to hard, make a buck yeah. in this town, man. Yeah, like, it's, it's very hard. It's really hard to make to, to to make like proper money. Yeah,
1: you know, and like you and re- consistent. Yeah, consistently, you yeah. really have to do something it's, spectacular. Yeah, it's some. It's one thing to just have a few hits, but it's another thing to have enough hits to sustain a business and to be on 100% of the yeah. time
2: to make that happen. Also, I just want to add and make sure not to leave your mom out of the equation we're mentioning your totally. dad a lot, but yeah. I know your mom also was, you know, you know, doing a lot to raise both of you and taking part in the family business the yeah. same way that both of you.
1: Well, my mom too. was really one of the early people in the business. So, my dad at one point had a warehouse, a manager and my mom yeah. <laughs> in the office and she he credits his ability to reach higher and dream bigger to her, um, and so I, I think that she ended up becoming the backbone of the whole operation. As and she was the backbone for us too. I mean, we we were very much supported uh, by her in in a different way because she's she's a life coach. Mm-hmm. Um, she was. I, I would say we were very lucky to have like. The best mother we could have for us, someone who loved us unconditionally, and uh, and, and we benefited from that a lot,
2: you know? Yeah.
0: I was going to say, also someone who, uh, like, encouraged us a lot to share. Like, even the fact that we're having this conversation, yeah. I attribute a lot of, like, who I am on this podcast to my mom. Like yeah. My, my mom is a life coach, and she's someone who, like, spends a lot of time talking to other people, talking about problems, you know, being being a lot about, like, self-reflective and, like, talking about self. So, like, I would say that, yeah, you know, that, that, taking a look at myself and actually the questions I ask myself on this podcast, the stuff that I do, you know, online and share and, like, a lot of my creativity comes from taking a look at myself, which I, I learned uh, from her.
1: But I also don't want to give the impression that we are this, like, perfect family who, like, right. you know, <laughs> yeah. because we're not. Yeah. Like, we have a lot of to get to this point, it took a lot of internal work. I mean, mm-hmm. we've had our fights, we've had our arguments, we've had our um, uh, we've we've had our discussions, and we've had to dig really deep. And being in such close proximity, when it's when you're all in on each other's thing, I mean, there's a lot of conversations, a lot of arguments, a lot of disagreements, a lot of emotions. But um, I think the f- because we've been committed to the idea that look at the end of the day, we're together when you're married to that idea, then this other stuff is helpful. Then that doesn't break the bond. And then the whole unit can grow and evolve.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, grateful to have had the experience already to have come out and to have been a part of it. And I think a fun thing for listeners or people who watch our YouTube channel that, that don't really see it on the YouTube channel to understand is that you know today your mom was in the studio uh last week i got to have lunch with your dad and his business partner yeah. and and y- you and yep. yeah it's just uh it's an added bonus and it's part of our lifestyle out here that is not really captured in the videos but
1: and i think it's a life it is a lifestyle and and that's something that i'm in love with i mean like the fact that i'm also very grateful that you came into our life you designed the logo that <laughs> launched This whole new chapter for our whole family, and um, and it's so nice to be in an environment where we're all hustling and trying to make something happen. No one is, um, no one is no. I don't. I get the sense that like we've all done a lot of internal work to kind of kick our egos to the curb, and we all recognize that we all have something to learn from each other. I mean, one thing for me, big lesson for me, is that my younger brother has a lot to teach me. Not to get too corny on this, but I think it's helpful. Uh, as the older brother, and as someone who was, you know, relatively successful, um, and did a lot, was achieving a lot of conventional milestones, I, it's very easy to be dismissive of your younger brother, who you feel like you're the one who's going to protect him and teach him what he needs to know. And along this journey, and one of the biggest benefits of this is just realizing there's a lot that I have to learn uh, from Samir, and that that's. That's part of my journey. Part of my journey was like kicking my ego out and listening because some of the greatest things that have happened in my life so far are not the result of me.
0: Mm -hmm. That's that's a really nice place to end. We should end right there. That was really good. Um, So I wanted to say... If you want to check out our clothing lines, which I don't talk about much on our (laughs) our stuff, but you see me wearing the clothes sometimes. Um, The women's line is called Raga. On Instagram, it's at Shop Raga. The men's line is called Raga Man. You can look that up. That's R-A-G-A. If you're interested in style's poetry, the book is called In Between Assignments. We'll we'll put it in the description for this podcast and we'll put it um, on Twitter as well when when we release the episode. But yeah, otherwise, thanks for joining. Thank you for having me. That's it this week for the Colin and Samir podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. You can check out Sahil's book at Sahelchadri.com. And if you don't know how to spell that, the link for it is in the description of this podcast. You can also check out his clothing line called Raga Man by just searching it online. Raga Man, R-A-G-A-M-A-N. And if you're looking for women's clothing, you can just search Raga, R-A-G-A. Colin and I are heading into BuzzFeed this week to develop our show, The Breakdown, and to learn a little bit more about how to produce vertical content. We're extremely excited to get feedback on our idea and just spend the week learning. Lastly, I just wanted to express my gratitude for all of you. We've been overwhelmed by all the outreach we receive from email to Twitter to YouTube comments. We really appreciate your support. And it's just unbelievable to be building a community of like-minded individuals. And honestly, we just couldn't be more grateful. Thanks again for listening. And we'll be back here next week for another episode of the Colin and Samir podcast.